Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is the CEO of Merlin, Jeremy Sirota. First of all, I bet you didn't know that many of the biggest stars on both Instagram and Twitter have huge numbers of fake followers. Yeah, there was a study done that found that artists like J-Lo and Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj, Ariana Grande, Beyonce, Shakira, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, that's just a few that top the charts that have social media accounts with the most fake followers. Now, what's a fake follower? It's defined as either a bot or an inactive account or an unreachable account or followers that were bought. Even Bill Gates and Elon Musk and LeBron James have huge numbers of fake followers. It turns out that the average fake follower percentage on Twitter was 42%, while on Instagram it was 25%. Who are the biggest offenders? Well, the three Kardashians. They were in the top nine of the highest percentage of fake followers on Instagram, with Courtney topping the list. Does this matter? Well, 77% of those that were surveyed said their opinion would worsen if they knew that these celebrities actually paid for their followers. So the lesson here is you can look and see hundreds of millions of followers on some of these social platforms, but it really doesn't mean anything because if up to 50% of them are fake, well, what does that tell you? Either they have a really good social media staff or you can look at it the other way and say, well, they're just trying to be famous for the sake of being famous. Either way, Take these numbers from now on with a grain of salt. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but there are some really big changes at Sweetwater Sound. We all love Sweetwater. And I don't know of any musician who doesn't buy something actively from Sweetwater. Everybody has a Sweetwater account. Mostly because they treat you so well. Just getting that box, opening it up, and seeing that little bag of candy, I think, makes everybody happy. That being said, the founder, Chuck Shurak, who was on my podcast, oh, about a year ago, July 14th, 2020, on podcast number 326. should go back and take a listen to that. He's kind of moving on. He's transitioning from being CEO to chairman of the Sweetwater Board. And a company called Providence Equity Partners is now the majority owner of Sweetwater. Now, Providence Equity Partners has a lot of investments. Some of the biggest ones are in Auto Trader, CDW, Hulu, and Warner Music Group. And they've also invested in a lot of media and communications companies. Everybody has their fingers crossed that nothing is going to change at Sweetwater. I feel pretty good about this because knowing Chuck the little bit that I do, which is very little... I get the feeling that he wouldn't have made this deal if it would jeopardize the way Sweetwater is doing business in any way. Now, Chuck is a pretty amazing guy, and now this frees him up some time to do other things. He has a lot of different companies under the Sweet umbrella, Sweet Helicopters, 
Sweet Aviation, Aviation Specialty Insurance, Long Optical, Sweet Cars, Lakeland Internet, even the Clyde Theater in Fort Wayne. And apparently he has a couple of blocks in the middle of Fort Wayne that he wants to develop. So Chuck has put a lot of people to work and he's saved a lot of jobs in that area. I would expect the same to happen going forward. And again, fingers crossed that any changes that happen at Sweetwater are only for the better. My guest this week is the CEO of Merlin, Jeremy Sirota. If you don't know, Merlin is a digital rights partner for independent labels and distributors all over the world. It's now powerful enough that some now refer to it as the fourth major label. Jeremy previously held a number of senior positions at Warner Music Group and at Facebook, where he led the company's efforts to license and acquire music rights from labels and distributors around the world. During the interview, we spoke about Merlin's mission and how it helps indie labels and artists, the mindset of music tech, the essentials of negotiating a deal, and much more. I spoke with Jeremy via Zoom from his office in New York. Let's go back to the beginning. Tell me how you get into the business. You know, I guess I would start off and say I had a little bit of a non-traditional path to how I got into the music industry. And that's because I think a lot, so many of the people I worked with in my time sort of worked at venues or managed bands or were college DJs. And that wasn't me. You know, I had, um, I think I had sort of that childhood uh, syndrome called figured out itis. And um, I did a lot with technology uh, in my early days. And I used to do um, a lot of programming. Uh, my dad was an engineer, so we spent a fair amount of time pulling apart old computers and putting them back together again. And what that merged with, though, was also sort of music as the soundtrack to my life. And that's always been sort of uh, the two themes uh, to what I've done in my career. And I was a technology lawyer uh, for five years at a big law firm. And that sort of first entry actually became came when Warner Music was one of our big clients at the time. So I was doing a lot of work with tech companies and internet law and early SaaS uh, licensing companies. But Warner Music was a big component and I had always wanted to go in-house and get more on the business side. And that was sort of the entry point was really, uh, it was when I was at the law firm, but really when I started at Warner Music in 2000, January 2009. Were you in the technology section of Warner's? Yeah. So I was. Yes. Yeah, so let me explain how that worked. Was you know around 2008, uh, which was an interesting time for the economy uh, when you know there was a, a severe downturn. Was actually when I was starting to look for in-house opportunities uh, in New York City, where I live, and there weren't a lot of opportunities. Right, tech was not uh, as prominent. Uh, in, in New York at the time as it is now. And that's originally where I was thinking about heading uh, or heading in my career. Uh, and it was sort of happenstance that, you know, we started working with Warner. I started doing, oh gosh, I must have done probably 200 different deals with Warner Music. Uh, I worked with their technology division. I worked uh, with uh, their business development team helping on the digital deals. And then I started working with a division called WIA which was the Artists and Label Services Division. 
And what attracted me when I started working with them and they made me an offer was that they were really looking for a technology lawyer and they wanted someone to help them with web and e-com and CRM and data and supply chain. And to me, that was very exciting because I had this opportunity to continue with technology and what I loved about it and working with it, but then also be involved in the music industry, which really was such a huge part of my life. Right? I was that kid who basically always had a Walkman, always had a tape player, uh, basically anywhere they went. Right, Even in college, I remember uh, virtually 24 hours a day I had music playing even when I fell asleep. And so this idea of basically being able to merge these two loves in my life was just a great opportunity. So what brought you to Merlin then? What was the path there? Yeah, so I was at uh, Warner Music for about nine years. And I had uh, a lot of opportunity to work in different capacities. So I was at WIA the entire time I was there and doing a lot of support on behalf of artists uh, and labels and helping them to sort of amplify what they were doing in the marketplace. But at the same time, I was able to do a lot of work with the biz dev team, doing M&A. Um, I also worked with ADA, which was Warner's uh, independent distribution division. And, you know, uh, what happened was actually I got approached by Facebook. And so that was actually a stop on my way to Merlin. And a former colleague of mine who I worked with both at the law firm uh, as well as at Warner, uh, started up the division at Facebook and approached me and asked me if I wanted to come work there. And it was such a unique opportunity. You know, they, you know, there was only three or four people on our team at the time. They hadn't launched sort of any of their music experiences yet. And so I love this opportunity to work within a technology company. Once again, still be able to work with music, which I'm so passionate about, and sort of be there just very early days uh, working with product teams, engineering teams, uh, across all of their different ecosystems and products. And I would honestly probably still be there, uh, but I got uh, also similarly approached about this opportunity at Merlin when the former CEO stepped down. And once again, just this next opportunity, this next turn to be able to involve, be involved with such a dynamic and incredible organization and see what I could do to drive additional value for the organization on behalf of our members. Well, let's talk about Merlin for a second. I'm shocked at the number of musicians and artists and bands that aren't aware of it or don't know what it is. So describe what Merlin is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually pretty simple uh, at its core, which is, you know, we're the independent digital music licensing partner. And what that means is that we, uh, we strike premium deals uh, on behalf of our members and uh, members meaning labels, distributors, uh, artist management companies, anyone who controls sound recording rights uh, could participate in Merlin if they meet the unique qualifiers. And we strike those deals on their behalf to give them best in class deals. And then we also allow them to then work directly with the digital partners. So we act as a bridge uh, into those uh, different partners. That includes the likes of Spotify and Apple, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and just a variety of other global, regional, and strategic partners around the world. 
Now that said, it's not for anyone that signed with the major. This is for indie everybody that that's not major related. Th- that's right. So it is. So you know, our membership, as I mentioned, you know, is comprised of independents from around the world. So that includes you know companies such as you know we can just name things like Beggars and Pios and Ninja Tune, right? Um, there's other companies like. Uh, you know, I can name a couple of recently joined. So we had about 30 members from Japan recently joined, and that includes Avex, for example. Uh, there's a label here in the U.S. called God Mode who recently joined. Um, so it's for any label, distributor, other rights holder around the world who's sort of independent, right? independent, you know, not part of the majors, but uh, that is seeking to take more ownership uh, of their independence and their digital future. Merlin has really come a long way, especially lately under your guidance, in that it's, I guess, considered a fourth major label, really, in terms of how all of the music distributors, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, the Spotify's, how they deal with record labels. Merlin's right there with the majors. Yeah, listen, one of the things that I uh, that's so attractive to me about Merlin is, you know, our foundation, right, our mission. The core of what Merlin does was so incredibly strong, uh, and it's still the same as ever, right? You know, our only remit is driving value to our members, right? And one of the ways we achieve that is, in fact, by operating like a not-for-profit, right? We have a board of directors who's from our members, right? All of our, bo- everyone who serves as a board member is a member, um, and then is voted on by our members, right? So we've created this unique structure that's specifically intended to ensure that everything we do is about driving the interests and values of our members. Uh, so I don't think about it so much as Merlin, right? Which is, it's important that everyone knows who Merlin is so we can do what we do on their behalf. Uh, but I think about it really is all of us at this company are about how do we drive that value back to our members, right? So things like last year, we were the first sound recording partner with Snap, right? We have a lot of members who wanna be in there early uh, want to innovate, want to be first. And, you know, those are some of the areas that we want to support it. And, you know, all I want to do is make sure, you know, kind of the proverbial same car, better engine, right? How can I build upon that foundation and drive more value uh, to our members? Does Merlin act as a collection agency as well? In terms of royalties, does it go through Merlin first before it goes to the members? That's right. So, the, this is one of the actual values both to our members, but I also think to our partners as well, right? So when we strike a deal, right, all of our members um, get to decide and make their own choices, right? We have something called an opt-out period. So once we sign a deal, we send around a notice to our members uh, where it tells them about the terms of the deal, right? They have a lot of transparency and they get to decide whether they want to participate or not participate. Uh, and then once they choose to opt in, they participate for that term of that deal. And what that means for our partners is they have one licensing body, right? And then they have one party they pay, one party they report to, which is of tremendous value, right? Accessing more repertoire, getting deals done faster, especially for you know, services that might be uh, short on resources. Uh, and then what we do is ensure that we collect and pay out extremely rapidly uh, to our members uh, and make sure, you know, one of the differences too is as a co- taking a collective approach, right, we can be first in line, right? If a service is struggling to report or pay to everyone, 
right? We can, you know, knock a little bit louder on that door on behalf of our members. And it's valuable for both the service as well as our members, which is, I think, a great benefit uh, to an increasingly sort of complicated digital ecosystem. Well, as you well know, back in the days before Merlin, when an indie label was on its own, it was really difficult to get paid. It would take forever and there's always reasons not to pay and you know everybody was always complaining about that so this is a boon for your members i'm sure yeah one of the values beyond just that is just ensuring also that access you know to the partners access to data trends access to api feeds right all these things are value to our members and we can help to serve as that bridge between those two um, and at the same time, we can also serve as a way of, whether it's through best practices, whether about confirming things that our members may not know because they may sit in sort of a smaller sort of region or country where they may be five or 10 people sitting in a country, whereas we are talking to hundreds of members around the world always. And so we have this incredible access to information about ensuring that we can help educate our members about how to lean into the digital services and take the most advantage of them and drive the most value to their artists. And you being from the inside of, of a major from Warner's, that has to be tremendous help because you know the mindset over there. Yeah, I mean, at, at, at Warner Music, you know, I was doing, you know, deal making has been a core part of my career, right? I, I think at one, jo one time in my career, I tried to count the number of deals I'd done and I, I, we were definitely in the thousands. And so having seen that both at Warner, right, for almost 10 years, uh, having done it as a tech lawyer for five years, having then also done it on the other end from within Facebook, from a service perspective, you know, all those sort of elements of my career have helped inform me about sort of how Merlin can be more valuable uh, in the ecosystem, as I said, both to our members and the services. And I think it's done a lot to help inform me about how to drive that and work with our team, who, you know, the core deal team at Merlin. And it's also the same since you were at Facebook, you know, that mindset as well. And social music is a bigger deal than it's ever been. And it's going to be even bigger. It seems like. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it, to be honest, it's one of the reasons why I was excited to go to Facebook and be a part of launching the music experiences there. It, uh, you know, I can't tell you how often I talk to services and I can reference my own experiences, which could be very similar uh, to some of the partners that we work with and what they're going through. Um, there's plenty of partners out there, some of whom may, may not have even launched yet, where I can actually serve as that bridge myself between having worked at Warner and having worked at Facebook and just help educate them how to think about the ecosystem, how to think about product, and having spent, you know, two years at Facebook, right, having worked with teams across Facebook and Instagram, uh, Messenger and Oculus, right? I used to mm -hmm. run this, what we call a cross-functional music huddle at Facebook, where we had anywhere from 20 to 40 people on a call talking about the different types of ways that their products and features touch music. Uh, it was just unbelievably educational to see it from that perspective and to be able to bring the mindset back here to Merlin for our members, some of whom are just, you know, want to be on that forefront and leaning into all these new opportunities 
uh, I find that very exciting. Uh, and especially as, you know, we know this, this digital evolution, we've really just reached the end of the beginning. And so while this can be extraordinarily challenging, you know, one of the ways that I see Merlin helping is to help translate this change to our members and what it means and how to take more advantage of it on behalf of their companies and, and their artists. I'm curious, Jeremy, so looking back on your Facebook days and looking at maybe what the average social distributor, social music service is going through, I would imagine that the number one thing that would be on everybody's mind would be, okay, licensing deal and next licensing deal. But is there something else that's really hanging over their heads that they have to deal with all the time? In terms of our members, sort of what they're trying to work through in the current environment or? No, not your members. I'm talking about at like Facebook or Spotify or one of those places, one of those distributors. What are their concerns that you know, they have to worry about? Hmm. Yeah, so we, you know, there's, I'm just trying to think, you know, just to give some context to, to your audience who may not always know what social music might mean. So, you know, we have deals with uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a deal with Snap and Triller. Uh, we also have a deal with YouTube. We recently launched a product called Shorts. And of course, we have a deal with uh, TikTok. And so, you know, I think one of the, the, one of the key dynamics about uh, services is what they're trying to do is understand sort of the uniqueness of their platform, right? And how that is a differentiator for their users and what their users are seeking to do on that platform. And so while a lot of these services on the surface can seem very similar, in fact, the dynamic about where their users are located, uh, the age demographics, how they use the platform, how often they use it, I think they're always trying to marry up those um, those elements to, if we're talking specifically about music, how music can play a role within their ecosystem and what works best. And I think, you know, we always want to find a balance between ensuring that music uh, is properly valued, but also finding ways to allow them to experiment and innovate, and figure out what can work best uh, for their environment. Value, that's a good place to go. Since the value is so different, on different platforms, YouTube to Spotify, for instance, or Apple Music or whatever, Amazon Music, what the royalty rates are, are way different. And as well, TikTok, which has a different way of determining what the royalty actually is. So, you know, the best answer I could give to that is, once again, being in the conversation and helping to educate services, you know, music it, to me, is just universal, right? It is one of the number one ways that people express themselves. And finding ways to ensure that, first of all, more people want to um, incorporate music into their platforms um, and finding ways to properly value that, that's exactly the role Merlin plays here. And it's one of the reasons why we want to be early with a lot of platforms on behalf of our members and why we want to continue to help educate to make sure that A, they can find the value for their platforms and for their users, right? But simultaneously ensure that we can create value as well for our members, whether they're labels, distributors, and their artists that they're trying to support in their efforts. So this is a, an ongoing conversation 
uh, with each platform, and it's something we welcome because it's a way we can each educate each other. Is there a new platform that's under the radar that most people don't know about yet? I think it depends, honestly, on sort of, you know, where you are, where you're located, and what you're trying to achieve, right? If you look at it from an artist perspective, I think one of the keys is to think about, you know, what is the platform that could most resonate with you and that is sort of accessible, right? So you see plenty of artists who have found a way and a path to find success on TikTok, right? That is very different than how you might broadcast, uh, for example, on Instagram or how you might utilize live streaming. So I think if we're talking about artists, I think it's always just focus on the platform where you find it most accessible. Uh, I think obviously, you know, Peloton's extremely interesting, what's happening in fitness. I wouldn't say that's under the radar, but I think it's very interesting. And what I would say is also really quite interesting is what's happening just regionally, whether you think about, you know, a company like GeoSavin in India, you know, you think about uh, Andex or Uma in Russia or Jukes in, in Asia. I think there's a lot of very interesting regional um, platforms out there. And, you know, finding the one that might most resonate with your repertoire and finding success on those above and beyond sort of some of the global platforms and some of the uh, social music platforms, which are important to be part of, of course. But finding, finding those areas that could be meaningful for your company, I think, is, uh, is important in this day and age. One of the things that I find particularly interesting is it's so much easier to play on both the local and a global scale or let's say a local label. And one of the main reasons is the music. I remember that there was a time you'd walk down the street in Paris and most of the music that you'd hear coming out of shops would be whatever's on the top 40 in the United States. And you can go anywhere in the world that would happen. Not anymore. Now what you hear is their own indigenous music that may have a Western influence, but it's their own. And people are embracing it more so than what's happening in the West. I just find that incredibly exciting, to be honest with you. But Merlin gives them an opportunity, a place to go with all that, which wasn't available before. That's right. You know, we, you know, I've been very lucky in my career. You know, Facebook's a great example where, you know, I was, you know, head of global licensing for independence for the two years I was there. And for the majority of that, I was almost doing it on my own. So I had an opportunity to go everywhere from Brazil to Europe, from Indonesia to Africa, and you know, meet uh, people in the music industry from around the world. And what I found so exciting about being at Merlin is that we're this incredible organization that can encompass anyone um, uh, who sort of has those, has that desire and ability to sort of take more ownership of their future. And, you know, I, I remember we had a member just joined from Africa, uh, from Kenya recently. And in fact, they've never had or been on the Spotify or Apple platforms. Mm. And giving them an opportunity to access even just those global platforms. And that's what I mean by, you know, you need to think globally, but act locally, because all of our members are coming at it from a different perspective. And, you know, we have been adding members over the last year and a half since I joined from areas that traditionally we haven't had members from direct. That's, uh, see if I can remember off the top of my head, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Peru, Slovakia, Kenya, 
uh, United Arab Emirates. And, you know, it is one of the things that's most exciting. What we do is creating and opening up opportunities for all the members who've been with us since our founding, which is a tremendous amount of them. Uh, virtually everyone who's been with us since our founding is still with us. Uh, and then creating new opportunities for members joining, uh, but meeting them where they are and helping helping them along that journey uh, is just such a key part of what, what we enjoy doing. There's so much money coming into the music business these days, both on the publishing and the label side. The last time I remember something like this happening was the early 80s when CDs first came out and all the labels were cash cows because they didn't have to market it. CDs were just a license to print money. So as a result, all of a sudden, there was interest that wasn't there before from Wall Street. But it's happening again. Where do you see that going? Yeah, it, listen, If I, I think I start from the perspective of the importance of diversity in the music space, right? Uh, the reason I got into the music industry and I didn't just stay in tech and do, and do purely sort of a tech job is that where I found my uh, opportunity best suited is help support uh, labels, help support artists in their creative endeavors. And that to me is incredibly exciting. And I think independents uh, are an area where you have just this entrepreneurial spirit that has more innovative and more exciting and more dynamic opportunity for diversity within the music as well. And maintaining that is incredibly important. And so one of the things we think about uh, at Merlin and what we want to achieve is ensure that uh, for those who want to continue to stay independent, um, that they have an opportunity to continue to do that. Because if there wasn't an independent space, I think the world would be a, a, not as a fun place to be in. So creating those opportunities, doing what we can from a Merlin perspective to ensure that can continue uh, is really important. But, but you're right, there's a lot of money coming into the space. Uh, and um, I think it's something that we pay a lot of attention to. Uh, and it's why I think Merlin is such an essential part of the ecosystem because it helps to provide a balance for independence. Yeah, certainly something that music needs. It worries me. When it goes from corporate to super corporate, so to speak. Yeah. Listen, the best I can continue to say is that this is the rationale, one of the rationales for why Merlin is here and ensuring that we can deliver these best in class deals. We can ensure that we can continue to provide access, right? The cost to operate. Uh, there's more money coming in. The cost to operate in, in, in this space is increasing. And so creating more opportunities for independence, um, whether it's around more access to deals, more revenue, right, more ability to, to, to tap into the marketplace around the world, those are some of the key things that we think about uh, at Merlin on behalf of our members. You know, it's funny you should say that the costs are increasing because one would think they would be less if you don't have to worry so much about physical product. One of the things that's interesting about physical is in some ways physical can be a whole lot easier, right? If you just have to press a CD, create a jewel case and an insert, and ship it to the distribution center and sell it to retailers, right? Once again, not an easy endeavor, but the concept about how that works is fairly simple. Whereas when you look at digital, um, it's incredibly complex, in fact, right? And the, the, each platform is slightly different. How to work with them is different. How to run the campaigns on them is different. Interfacing with them. Some of them are quite operationally complex 
right? And that complexity is only increasing. You know, the amount, the size of the files uh, for reporting, you know, all these things are getting bigger and getting more complex. And, you know, while it's great news that there are more services than ever, and we're seeing more interest in different types of services launching in the space, that also means you have to think about more services as well and how to interface with them and what that means for your business. So it's it's both, you know, it's amazing how something can be both a positive and a negative. It's not really a negative, but it just means that, that those costs associated with that, the digital space is increasing. Hmm. Got it. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. You've done thousands of deals. What's the key to that? I mean, for some people, they have a hard time negotiating one, let alone thousands of them. What would be your advice? I was actually just thinking about my uh, my sister. Uh, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this. She, uh, she uh, at one point in her career, had to negotiate a deal and read a whole book about deal making. And within the first 30 seconds, she forgot everything she learned from that book and was instantly making every mistake. Uh, you know, one is it just comes from experience, obviously. Uh, I think the second is, is that deal making is really one of those very soft skills, right? When do you, when do you pick up the phone versus send the email? When do you stall versus try to create momentum? Um, it's one of the most fascinating ones, questions is why do certain deals happen and others don't? And I just go back to almost what I was giving about advice, which is, understanding people and understanding where they're coming from. And the more you understand that, the more you can learn to interface and negotiate uh, deals with them. Last question, Jeremy. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe someone imparted to you or you learned along the way? Yeah, I may not get this one exactly right. I haven't thought about, I haven't (laughs) thought of this expression in a while, but one person told me, you know, very early in my career, you know, investing in people early is like investing in a 401k early and it pays more dividends later in life. And one of the things that keeps me interested and excited about what I do is people, right? I'm infinitely fascinated by people and learning from them. And, you know, I've taken that advice as what keeps the fact that I've done thousands of deals still interesting because there's always a different person on the other side or their different stage of their life. And I think as people, you know, approach, um, start to approach the industry or they're early in their careers, thinking about people and, you know, understanding them uh, will play such a core part of what it looks like in the future because you never know where an opportunity comes from, right? I, I didn't know that the head of music at Facebook was gonna pick up the phone one day and ask me if I was interested in a job until they did. And uh, that was, uh, such a fortunate moment in my life that I think came from simply investing in people without expecting anything in return, just simply uh, caring, enjoying them. You can find out more about Jeremy and Merlin at MerlinNetwork.org. That's MerlinNetwork, all one word, dot O-R-G. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send in a questions at BobbyOsinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.